Good morning, church. Good morning. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it was about that, uh, <clears throat> man, about that second song, but I was pretty weighty. You know, it's a, that's a bold statement to make. Uh, worthy is the name of Jesus Christ. The name above any other name. The Alpha and the Omega. He encompasses all things. And uh, I was just talking uh, just a second ago. I was talking to Scott and, 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 you know, just came up about this Christian life we live is hard. (laughs) It's hard. But but here's the catch. It's experiential. It's experiential. What do I mean by that? It's not merely opening up the Bible and reading the words on the page. Yes, that's important. But you and I, we have to experience Christ. You should have an experience with Jesus Christ. If you haven't had that experience and it's just head knowledge, I pray today that there will be a breakthrough in your life where Jesus Christ becomes real to you, real to the core where you can sing worthy is his name and you're broken in tears because you recognize man is so powerful. Lord, you're so good. You're so gracious. I was such a mess and I was so undone and you came and made me a new creation. I'm so fired up because it's so real to me because I've experienced that and I'm sure you have as well. But that's just a that's a that's a real message that I believe that the Lord is trying to share with us today. You see, a lot of Christians, they have this head knowledge of Christ, but it doesn't click because they haven't known him. They don't know him on that intimate level. Because no one can take away your experience with Jesus Christ. No one can say, no, you haven't experienced the true and living God. Yes, I have. Because I know what I was like. I know what I was into. And the Lord came and picked me up out of the muck and the mire. And he had mercy and love and compassion towards me. And he's made me a new creation. And I don't do all the things I used to do. And I don't think the way I used to think. You see, it's a supernatural act. It's something that you can't drum up with the Hollywood movie script. You can't come up here and act this thing out. You can't come up here and sing and be fake about it. And see, what the world needs and what the world wants is realness in the Christian life. They, want, they need and want Christians that are real. They don't just want someone strumming up a bunch of verses. Now, the verses are powerful, don't get me wrong, because the word of God is living and active. And I'm not being sacrilegious, sacrilegious at all when I make that statement. But what I'm saying is there's a heavy weight that comes with the reality of you know you've experienced Christ. And I truly believe that is one of the great challenges of why witnessing is hard for some people is because they have not experienced Christ on that deeper level. Because when you've experienced Christ on that personal level, when it's so raw, when it's you and him and no one else can tell you any different, you don't have any problem opening your mouth about Jesus and you do it in love and you have a sincere desire to see people around you saved and you will get on your knees every day and intercede for your loved ones and for even strangers and for the world in this country and even for the people that do evil because you've been so moved by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's such a beautiful thing and it's such a real thing. And we'll we'll see about that this morning. But I'm I'm very excited to get in the word this morning. We will be in Revelation chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 12 down through 21. I've entitled this message, The Seven Trumpets, Part 3. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of parts because we're just barely at the first woe. But uh, we're in Revelation chapter 9, verses 12 down through 21. So uh, when you get there and if you're able to stand, <clears throat> please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll go ahead and pray and we'll get into our message this morning. Once again, Revelation Chapter 9, verses 12 down through 21. And it says, The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. 
Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And their heads of horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. And their tails are like serpents' heads. And by means of them, they wound. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you again, and, and Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, you are merciful, and that you do forgive, and that you do have a plan of restoration and redemption, really, redeeming us, Lord, from our sinful past. Lord, thank you that we can have your peace and your joy. Thank you that we can know you on a personal level, and that we can truly experience Jesus Christ for ourselves, and how sweet and how great your son is. Lord, we pray now that you would shed light on this portion of your scripture, that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts, that you would give us discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to rightfully divide your word. May we see the application for these uh, scriptures in our lives this morning. Again, Father, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Having a little... I don't know, technical difficulty with the with the Zoom. They're saying that they can't hear, but we I am unmuted. So in any event, I apologize for those of you online. There's not really much I can do about it at this moment. But yeah, this is a it's just getting deeper and deeper. We get into the book of Revelation. And while there is a definite concern for these things that are being stated in scripture and the warnings that are given it's also a time of rejoicing honestly it is it's a time of rejoicing because things are coming to a closure they're coming to an end all of the pain all of the suffering all of the heartache all of the wrongdoing it will all become accounted for and no one gets away with anything. You know, you look at the world and it's like, man, so much going on. How it's so much, it seems so many people get away with so much. But, you know, we are all accountable and one day everything will be righted. And so you can rest in the fact that your justification will come. It already has come in the form of Christ one time, but he's coming back again for his church. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing if you are of the church. Amen? Amen. Last week, we took a look at the first of the three woes. We looked at uh, the bottomless pit. It was opened and demonic locusts like beings rose out of the pit to torment everyone upon the earth who did not receive the seal of God upon their foreheads. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they were inflicted with torment by these demonic locust-like beings. Those who were not sealed by the Holy Spirit, they were tortured for five months. I mean, 
I don't know if you've ever been bit by a scorpion. I don't know if you've ever been, I've only been bit or stung by a bee, <laughs> you know, and that's already painful. But I can't imagine being stung repeatedly by scorpion, scorpion-like beings for five months straight. <laughs> five months is a long time. What, 30, 60, 90? I'm not good with math, but it's, it's getting up there. <laughs> five months, almost half a year, you know. There you go, 150 days of constant torment and that pales in comparison to an eternity of torment mainly being the fact that those that are will be in hell will be there of their own admission because they willfully chose to say no to the gift of salvation that was offered by jesus christ and that's the saddest part about hell as far as human beings in hell is the fact that those people that end up there are there of their own admission. God never forced anyone to, but we choose to just neglect his gift and we end up there. It's a not, it's a not a good state to be in. When these people were being tortured by these demonic locust-like beings, they sought death. <laughs> they sought to die. You know, you think in your right mind right now, nobody willingly wants to die. Even nowadays, there's something psychologically wrong with someone or there's some kind of demonic oppression that causes a person into a state where they want to commit suicide, that they've become so uh, complacent in life and so down and out by their circumstances and looking at the world around them, their perspective is so darkened that they think the only relief is to not be here anymore and i know not every circumstance is vanilla so there's different shades some people have been through all kind of abuse and i don't think that abuse is okay but again it's a demonic presence that's trying to uh get a person to say yes i think it's better if i take my own life you see nowadays people can take their own lives look and seek death and they can find it but in this day and age uh, speaking in the context of what we talked about last week, these people who do, do not have their, their names written in the Lamb's book of life, they will seek death, but death will elude them. That is crazy. <laughs> what? I want to die, but I can't. Again, this is part of the consequence of the rebellious lifestyle against Jesus Christ. Those who choose to say, no, I don't want any part of what you are and what you offer me, those will be those who unfortunately will be forced to drink the cup of their own making. Willful rejection of Jesus Christ has eternal consequences. Today we will look at the second woe and hopefully come to a better understanding that truly sin is no laughing matter in any stage even in its season of uh, what seems to be pleasure for the moment. Sin is no laughing matter. We have several main points this morning. And the first one is this. It is only God's loving patience that is holding this world together. The world as we know it. We, we are living in what is called the dispensation of grace. We are still in that era of time, that season of time. But it is only the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ that is holding this world together. When you read verse 15, it describes four angels who were prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year to kill a third of mankind. When you simply just glance over this verse, it seems like nothing major going on. But when the Holy Spirit reveals the truth of God's love to you in that verse, you will be blown away. The reality is this. With a blink of an eye, the Lord God Almighty can completely wipe away this whole existence that we know. Like the click of a delete button on a computer. It could be that easy and it's just gone. All of this is destroyed. It is done with. But you see, our God is a loving and caring God. He is a God of long-suffering love. I mean, do we ever think, man, what, what does God think when he looks at this planet? You know, when you go on an airplane, I was talking to my coworker about this the other day, when you go on an airplane, you have a totally different perspective of human life. You see, here, 
we're all, we can see each other the way we are, and we're just so consumed. We're in what's going on on this earth. But when you get up high, you see how small these cars are and how you can't even see the people. It's like, man, we're not that big. You know, but in our realm right here, it's like, oh, everything is great and grand. And, you know, I'm just saying that that perspective of being outside of space and time, man, how that must grieve God's heart when he sees his creation killing and murdering and lying and backbiting and slandering and acting so out of sorts. But his 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 love is long and deep and patient that he's like, man, my desire is that you come back to me. My desire is that you accept the gift of salvation that my son Jesus Christ bore on the cross so you don't have to be in eternal flames, but you could be with me in paradise forever. You could experience peace and joy beyond anything that this world could ever offer. And his love is that deep love that's just patient with us. Oh, how patient is the Lord God that he's still allowing us to live in this dispensation of grace. Just look at the world today with wars, rumors of wars. I won't get into the other stuff that went on because it's nothing new. But when you have people that are of a, a privileged lifestyle and they believe they're entitled and they act out as children, grown men, grown women acting foolish. It's not a good thing. You look at our systems of education, higher learning, so to speak, falling apart with man's knowledge, man's wisdom being propped it up as if it's so great and so mighty. But we don't look for the revelation of God. When you see all these things going on in the world, all you, have, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to understand it's surely not us. That are holding this world together. Now those who are operating out of uh, intellect. And out of self will. And out of emotion. Governed by their fleshly desires. Yes they would love to think that they are holding this world together. But I don't care about the most uh, you know, successful philanthropists. Or, or, or the most in, in, intelligent scientists. Or the most uh, prestigious doctors. Not taking anything away from any of those people and what they do. But they are surely not holding this world together. It is the Lord God Almighty. Those who are living in rebellion to Jesus Christ are actually being used by Satan to destroy this world. But it is the Lord God, the great I am, who is holding this world together, waiting for the last soul that will repent before he unleashes his full wrath upon this earth. That wrath, that vengeance that is sure to come out of a righteous jealousy, a righteous judgment that is due to those who, again, choose to treat the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, as, as if it was common, as if it was pig's blood. The second main point is this. Despite these horrible judgments that fall upon unsaved people, only a third of humanity will be killed. Again, this is very similar to the first several trumpet judgments only a third of the earth was affected by those judgments again the main point behind these partial judgments was to wake people up to shake people up to get people to wake up and realize that your life is not your own that your life is accountable to a creator to a source greater and bigger than you that you can't just use your life however you want. And if you use your life however you will please, you will be accountable. Every breath that you and I breathe is a blessing and a gift from God. The fact that your eye can compute and see things, I, I can't even explain it in a nanosecond. And how you can get something from your eye to your brain and come out through your mouth. Do you think you have the intellect to do that? <laughs> I sure as the heck don't. I only stand up here by the grace of God, by his provisions. We're only all sitting here because of the provisions that God provides. Amen. And this is what the Lord is trying to get a hold of these people in the context of this scripture and this time in history. Is that he's allowing these judgments to come, these partial judgments to come because he wants people to repent. 
He wants people to see the error in their ways and see that there's still an out, that there's still hope. As long as you have breath in your lungs, there is still time to change. How dare we think that it's over and we're still living? But it's so sad. We live in a culture. We have a generation of people coming up. They're already defeated, many of them. They're they're, they're just defeated. And it's so sad to see these young lives that are so filled with promise, but so darkened by society that they don't think that they have any hope. And hope's not in success in the world. And hope's not in a flashy car. And hope's not in a successful professional career. Those things are are good things, but they're not the end-all, be-all. And many people come and obtain these things only to find themselves still empty. And they're wondering, what is it? Why am I not satisfied? Because it's that craving, that longing, that strong desire is far deeper than something you could fill with worldly things and worldly success. You need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. It has been said that a smart person learns from their mistakes, but a wise person learns from someone else's mistakes so they don't have to make them. (laughs) A wise person is going to say, I'm not going down that route. You know, I see where that led you. And I don't want to be the next statistic. We see that God is allowing rebellious sinners yet another opportunity to learn from the mistakes of those who have already died in what will then be the great tribulation. Praise God for every soul that will repent and receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord in the great tribulation. But it is also very true that woe to those who turn a blind eye and plunge ahead in utter destruction. Oh man, it's true. Woe to those. Aren't you so glad that you're not one of those people that's saying today, oh, I just, <laughs> I just turn my, my back to what you're telling me and I'm going to plunge ahead. It's so not worth it. Do not gamble with your salvation. Do not gamble with your eternal security. Nothing in this world, I don't care how great Your worldly success is, it pales in comparison to having an eternal love with Jesus Christ and being at peace with him. Amen. Amen. All right. The third main point is this. For some, and this is this is this is this is just hard to this is hard to to fathom. But for some, no amount of suffering will change their minds and they will die in their sins. You see, when I read these last two verses of this portion of Scripture, I was just amazed. I really was. I was very puzzled and I was very troubled by what I read. It's hard for me to understand why some will simply choose to ignore the destruction that is set before them. It's hard for me to understand that. Even with people being tormented by demonic beings and one third of humanity being killed, there will be some who will still choose to not repent. You know, I'm not, this is not some spooky thing and we, we don't treat these things in that manner, but spiritual, uh, spiritual warfare is real, right? It's not just what you see. It's not just what I see. There, there are Spiritual ramifications manifest themselves in the physical a lot of times. They really do. And you can't just go based on what you see. The, the Bible is clear that Satan is a fallen angel and he disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, Satan's not, the, 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 the thing is, we got it twisted when all of a sudden the church started believing Satan is some dude in a red suit with, with horns and a pitchfork. <laughs> All right. Now, there are grotesque, nasty, demonic beings. But Satan will come disguised as an angel of light. And that's why we have to test the spirit. Just because someone presents themselves in a manner that is appealing does not necessarily mean that their character and their conduct mirrors their image. There's many homeless people you'll come into in contact with. They don't smell good. They look very poor. Uh, They look very poorly put together. They don't look well taken care of, but they have hearts of gold. 
that they are true, uh, truly uh, people that have been regenerated, but have fell, fallen on hard times. And there's also homeless people that you come across and they look that way and they're uh, very despicable and they are very conniving. And there are people in suits and ties or dressed like me and they can either be of very good integrity and high character or they could be snakes. And so we have to be aware of this. That spiritual warfare is very real. But it just boggles my mind that even with people being tormented by the demonic beings and and a third of humanity being killed, some will still not repent. But they will continue to worship demons, even though it is demons who are responsible for their destruction and the destruction of many. That is so, that's just, that, that grips me. Willingly worshiping demonic hosts. That's not, (laughs) you you don't want to be there. You see, it makes me think of the very sad stories of those who died from the coronavirus who were forcefully against getting vaccinated. I'm not getting into politics of it, and I understand everyone has their free will choice. I'm not trying to tell you to get vaccinated. I'm not trying to tell you to not get vaccinated. Now, whether or not these stories are valid and are completely true, I can't tell you they are or they're not. But as I took it, I've read too many articles and too many stories of people who were so adamant and hell-bent on not getting a vaccine, but yet they're dying on their deathbed from something that could have been prevented. It was so sad to see that. This is what we see in Scripture. The whole point of that, that illustration is this. Those who were on death's doorstep and have simply decided in their hearts not to bend a knee to the Lord Jesus Christ is very sad. It's clear that he has made a way of an escape. And it's not found in organized religion. And it's not even found in Christianity as a religion, but it's found in Christianity as a relationship. Again, it goes back full circle to this whole idea, the premise of it needs to be an experiential relationship that you and I have with Jesus Christ. When we have that experience, oh man, it's something that we want to grow and we want to foster that relationship and we want to see it bloom and blossom into the beautiful thing that it was meant to be. Amen. Amen. You see, once a person has reached that level of rejection, saying, I I just do not, I just totally reject the idea of my soul being saved. That you are not going to do it. And remember, the, the Jews of old, they struggled with this. They still struggle with that. They don't believe that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. But once a person has reached this level of rejection, especially in the Great Tribulation, they will be handed over, if you will, to the desires of their own hearts. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25 tell us, Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And and we still see this today. Those who choose to worship the creature. We are creatures. People worship celebrities, entertainers, sports stars. Some people worship pastors. They worship, you know, whatever. They worship models. They worship, they worship things that are created. They worship iPhones and iPads and, 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 and technological things. But they don't worship the one who gave the wisdom to do all these things. And it's a very sad thing. We don't want to be those that are in that boat. We want to be those that are willfully acknowledging and worshiping the creator of all. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and look at these verses. So chapter 9, verse 12, it says, The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. The word woe indicates severe suffering and distress. So it's not a good thing. Woe. It carries a very heavy meaning. The tribulation, again, is a seven-year period of severe end-time suffering and distress. Now, the second half of this era, called the Great Tribulation, increases the severity of God's judgment on unbelievers as He pours out His wrath upon them. Remember, in His Olivet 
discourse, Jesus advised righteous Jews to flee to the mountains when an idolatrous image stands in the holy place. Matthew chapter 24 verses 20 and 21 tells us, Pray that your flight may not be in winter nor on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. You see, for us today, believers should be extremely grateful that God has saved us from the wrath to come. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. We are saved from that if we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus. You see, this is not a scary thing for those of us who have anchored our hope in Christ. It's only scary if you haven't had that encounter, right? And again, it's all head knowledge and there's no real, there's no rubber that's met the road. There's been no real activation in your life. Then yes, if I was you, I would be scared. I would tremble and I would ask for for the revelation of God to come upon me that I would know Jesus in a personal way. But if you have made up your mind and made your decision and then you have humbled yourself before the mighty hand of God, then you don't have anything to be afraid of. Maybe the only fear you have is for those loved ones around you that you know are still not saved. And that's okay. And that's why you intercede and you pray for them and you be the best table setter you could possibly be. And in the Lord's timing and in his will, they will come and feast and dine at the table. But that's what we're called to be is professional, great, well, good, wholehearted table setters. Set the table, set it great. Like you set it for Thanksgiving dinner, like you set it for Christmas dinner. Make it great and share the love of Christ with those around you. And Lord willing, they will come to know him. Amen. Amen. All right, let's look at verse 13. And it says, then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Okay, so it says, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. So we got to go back to the Old Testament and we come to understand that in the tabernacle, the temple of Israel, the golden altar was the altar of incense, <clears throat> incense, excuse me, which was repre- a representation of the prayers of God's people. That's what it represented and the smoke going up. Those were like uh, represented, symbolized the prayers of God's people going up to heaven. The four horns of the golden altar, these stood at each corner of the altar and the atoning blood was applied to the horns. Remember, we have to understand atonement, what atonement means. And the definition of atonement is a reparation for a wrong or injury. And the biblical instance of this would be a reparation for sin, right? We have to understand that. See, we come from a standpoint of we're like, man, why, why, why is there got to be blood involved? And what is this whole thing about atonement? Then we're never going to grasp why Jesus came. Remember, in the Old Testament, they would have to go... Once a year, and they would have to sacrifice an animal. And, and I don't need to get into full description, but it was a very bloody mess. So the priests had to sacrifice all these animals, and they said it just it would smell of iron, and you know the uh, uh, the garments would be sloshed in blood. But that but that was just a bandaid on an open wound because they would have to come back every year and do that. And then Jesus finally came upon the scene, 100% God, 100% man. And what did he do? His whole mission was to go to the cross, to willingly lay down his life upon that cross, allow his body to be broken, his blood to be shed, so that we may have forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. Okay, so when we understand that, these are very important theological terms that as Christians, we should know. It's not scary. It's not weird. All right? we, we shouldn't be weirded out by this. This is, the, this, is, this, this is the premise of how God has set it up so man could be saved. And so we see this here represented in these, uh, these horns upon the altar. An application is simply this. Once again, throughout all pages of Scripture, we see God's deep love for His creation. So much so that he would literally send his one and only son to this earth to be the perfect final atonement for the sins of the world. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 tells us he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. You understand even in that you see how experiential it has to be. Because intellectually, I can hear that, 
But that doesn't necessarily mean that I've experienced that forgiveness, that I've experienced that deep, long suffering, right? But when you experience the mercy and grace that Jesus Christ offers, oh my gosh, it transforms you. It literally does. You, you cannot be radically changed when you've experienced Christ. You have to be changed because it's a supernatural, deep depth of love that no human being can give to you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it blows my mind. We cannot live the same once we've encountered Jesus. We have to be changed. Now, you're still going to have things that you like. You're still going to have hobbies and interests that you enjoy. I have things that I enjoy doing. They're just clean now. <laughs> You know, I still make beats, but I don't be I'm not rapping over them. And what I put into those beats are snippets of sermons. And it's talking about the gospel. God's just like God's not like, oh, I don't like 808s. I don't like I don't like bass music. Come on. Right. To me, that's corny. That's like saying, well, you can't even play no electrical instruments. All you could do is clap and sing. And that's OK. But that's for some people. But God is 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 diverse, you know, and I believe as long as it's honoring him. It's a good thing. So you're going to have your interests and things that you like, but you're going to be radically transformed and you're not going to be of the darkness anymore. You're going to be of the light and the things that you're going to reflect are the light of Jesus Christ in all things you do. Amen. That's why you have people in different industry, but they're real Christians. I believe that there are professional athletes that truly are real born again Christians and they share their faith in a manner in their spirit of influence, how they do. And I believe there are pe people that work at Mac that are that are real born again believers and people at Google and people that are doctors and people that are lawyers. It's, 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 it's silly for us to say, oh, no, you can only be in this profession if you're a Christian. Now, we know there's some things you shouldn't do. I don't won't go there. But I'm saying, for the most part, you know, you're going to be of whatever you're going to be, but you're going to be a born-again believer if you are. Amen? Amen. This, this love story, this is the greatest love story that has ever been created. Wow. What a great, deep love that the Lord has for us. Today, know that you're loved. Maybe this week has been hard. Maybe this month, maybe this year, maybe this whole time of the last two and a half years and mass, no mass and vaccine, not vaccine. And now they've got the war going on and you don't know what's going on overseas. And you just it's just just, just all around you it feels like just things are falling apart. Know that you're loved by the God of all creation. Know that he has a plan and a purpose for your life. If you would just allow yourself to walk in him and trust in him. He says, take his yoke upon you. When we try to take the burden of life, it just beats us down. Let him carry your burdens, right? But again, it goes back to experiencing him and trusting him and humbling yourself and myself before him and saying, you're my end all be all. And it goes back to that song. <laughs> you are worthy. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. We can sing that. We can mean that because we know that he is what we're hanging on. It's not our finances. It's not our job. It's not our family. Those are all good things that I'm not saying they're bad, but our hope doesn't rest in those things or those people. Our hope rests solely upon the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us and the Holy Spirit that lives in us now and gives us wisdom and gives us discernment. And now we can make right choices and say, oh, man, my antennas are up. That's not a good thing. I'm staying away from that. Isn't that a beautiful thing when the Lord keeps you from getting into something that's going to utterly destroy you? I know I, I know you've been there because I've been there. I'm like there every week where the Lord's like, don't do that. <laughs> You know, me and my own fickle thinking, I'm like, oh, this is a good idea. <laughs> uh, I think we should do this. And, and praise God for my wife, because my wife is level-headed and she's grounded in the Lord. And she's like, no, that's why I married her. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. I married her because, you know what, I, I saw I saw something in her that I didn't see in, in other women at the time that were in my sphere of influence that were Christians. And I'm like, no, this, this woman loves Jesus. That's the main thing. That's how your marriage is going to stay together. That's another little tidbit. Love Jesus Christ more than you love your spouse and it all work out, even through the bad and the good. Right. Amen. Let Jesus be the glue. Don't look to your husband or your wife to be your end all be all because you're going to be disappointed because we're sinners and we mess up. 
I probably got a story of what happened this week, but I haven't shared it yet. I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll probably share it. <laughs> but it happens, right? And we got to give, we got to give grace and we got to give forgiveness. But, but again, Jesus, let him be the end all be all for you. And your life is going to be filled with joy, regardless of your circumstances. Amen. Next, we see from these horns that John heard a voice. In this, John recalls a repeated theme that the prayers of God's people play a large role in the end times drama. All right, let's look at verses 14 and 15. And it goes on to say, saying to the sixth angel who, who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who have been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Man, so I'm talking about it's getting deep. It's getting, it's getting hairy. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's getting many. Release the four angels who are bound to the great river Euphrates. These four angels have no necessary connection with the four angels of Revelation chapter 7 verse 1. These may be the same four angels or they may not be. I'm not claiming to be uh, you know, a great scholar on this, so I'm not going to say that they are or they're not. Whoever they are, they are prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year of the unleashing of this form of judgment that God has, um, is going to bestow upon the earth. We see this statement, we're released. Okay, we have to understand that, that most of Satan's angels, fallen angels that is, are not yet free. We know that some are recognized as being the principalities that the Bible speaks of, right, that we believers wrestle with. Still, some terrible demonic beings of high rank have been bound, and they are bound for this time. Again, this assumes that these are bad angels. And again, they may or not be bad, but they probably are evil angels. They're fallen angels. The whole point is, no matter who they are, they are servants of the divine purpose. We see this statement, they were released to kill a third of mankind. The demonic locusts described earlier in this chapter were restricted to torment mankind. But these four angels have been given the authority to kill on a massive scale. These angels have a specific sphere of activity. Again, a third of mankind, and they only activate in God's timing. They execute God's will in God's timing. The application is this. When we look back through the pages of scripture, this is a common theme. Even when evil is permitted for any amount of time, those who are carrying out evil will still be used by God for his divine purposes. Some may ask, well, how can this be? How can evil be used for good? Well, first off, we have to understand this. There is an important distinction to be made between God controlling evil and God creating evil. We know that God is not the author of sin, but he can use sinful men to obtain an objective. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 tells us, For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You see, all things, all things, that encompasses both good and bad. God can use struggles heartbreak and tragedies in ways to bring about his glory and our good such events even though we don't understand the reason for them are part of his perfect divine plan you see you think about your life and you think about the things that you're going through or the things that you've been through and you question lord what is going on lord why are these things happening why does it look so bleak why does it look hopeless but you see the lord has a plan he has a situation that's going to come into play for his glory and his timing. That goes back to this whole premise of as long as you have breath in your lungs, there is still hope. But if you have breath in your lungs and you're living hopeless, then your perspective is all messed up and it's all skewed and you're going to be depressed, knocked out already. But if your perspective is, Lord, <laughs> you are on high, you are almighty. My situations aren't ideal. They're not what I want. But Lord, I'm going to praise you all the more because I know you're in control. I know you're good. I know you're righteous. I know you're true. I know you're holy. I know you're just. I know you're going to right every wrong. Then, man, you have, you have a godly perspective. You have a biblical worldview that is going to get you through. And he responds to those who have faith. 
If we just operate out of, I can only, I only believe in what I see, then our faith is very weak and flimsy and faulty. We have to be those that mature to a place where I can't see it, but I know that he's going to come through. I know that it's going to work out. It may not be what I want. It may not be how I think it should be. But the Lord's purposes will prevail in my life and the loved ones that I love. Amen. Going back to this whole idea of how can good come from evil? If God could not control evil, then he wouldn't be God. (laughs) You see, he wouldn't be God. God means he's, he reigns above all things. His sovereignty demands that he be in control of everything, even the dreaded things of this world, even the dreaded nations and rulers of this world. You see, there's a lot going on right now with Russia and Ukraine and, and, and China in the background and, 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 and you know, the, the Middle East and the Saudis and all that. And even in our country, there's a lot going on. But God is in control. He is in full control of what's going on. This is not catching him from the blind side. He knows all these things that are, that are, that are coming upon the scene. And he's going to get glory for it, no matter what. Next, we see this statement, the great river Euphrates. These angels were connected to the Euphrates River because Euphrates was a landmark of ancient Babylon. It was the frontier of Israel's land as fully promised by God. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 down through 21. It was also the boundary of the old Roman Empire, which will be revived under the Antichrist. The Euphrates is also associated with the first sin. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 down through 14. The first murder, that's in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. The first organized revolt against God, that's in Genesis uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. The first war confederate, that's in Genesis chapter 14, verse 1. And the first dictatorship, that's in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 down through 10. I don't have enough time to go through every one of those verses. That's why I just kind of gave you the addresses. But you can see how the uh, river Euphrates is, is, is very synonymous with all of these things, with the fall of mankind and with, 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 with just the waywardness of humanity. And so it is no wonder that it is mentioned here in this context. You see, even though the fallen nature of men have tainted this land, the Lord is the only one who will have the final say in all matters. Again, he is truly the Alpha and the Omega. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One way or another, it will happen. All right. Now we see verses 16 down through 19. And it says, The number of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode on them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And their heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the first, by the fire and the smoke, excuse me, and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Okay, so this first statement here, we see the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. That's a big number. That's a large number. Now, is this number literally or symbolic? Again, I can't say for sure. I I don't know. What I do know is it is possible that the number is not to be taken literally, but simply suggests that an army that is impossible to count and is greater than anything that mankind has ever seen before. Next, we see the breastplate of fire red, sapphire blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions and out of their mouths came fire, smoke and brimstone. Now, these horsemen are described in in, in what I would describe as weird and grotesque terms. This is a powerful picture of horror, destruction, and demonic association. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not something that you would long to look at. You would be utterly disgusted by the the, the image of these demonic beings. They're not pretty, and they shouldn't be. They're fallen angels. They're angels that decided to rebel against the true and living God, and so their bodily form takes on their heart. The army of the horsemen. Does this speak of a natural or supernatural army? 
Is this army of men or an army of demons? Well, let's take a closer look. If this describes a natural army of men, then the weird description many speak this weird description, it may speak of modern mechanicalized warfare. It may be John simply describing modern machinery in only terms that he could relate to as a result of this weird, grotesque, terrifying account. But a human army this size has never been seen. The total size of all armies on both sides at the height of the Second World War was only 70 million. Uh, in 1965, China claimed to have an army and a militia of 200 million, but this claim was doubted by many. And as of November 29, 2021, China stands, their standing armed forces is about 2.8 million active soldiers in uniform. That's the largest military force in the world. They have approximately 1 million uh, reservists and some 50 million militia backing them but that pales in comparison to that number of 200 million and even with such an army assembled marching towards the west it is hard maybe not impossible but very hard to see such an army kill a billion or more people a third of mankind okay so it is safest the safest bet to take the interpretation as seen as a literal 200 million strong army but a demonic army invading the earth remember this is god's judgment this isn't the act of men this is god almighty saying no to the way people have acted towards his son jesus christ it is a it is a righteous judgment being imposed upon the earth this continues the idea of the demonic army like locust described earlier in the chapter and the application is this the judgments of God that are to come will be so severe that his righteous indignation towards sin and the rejection of his son, Jesus Christ, will punish the wicked. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 down through 31 tells us, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know in him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, again, I mean, these, these are, <laughs> it's easy to look at these scriptures and just be like, oh, man, how, how, how harsh God is. The reality is how gracious is he? He's showing us, he's telling us. Do not treat my son common. Do not be a fool and hear the word and it go in one ear and out the other because now there's no, there's, there's no sin sacrifice for you because you've known better. You can't claim ignorance as if you don't know. You can only claim I've been foolish because I knew but I still chose not to. And he's telling us clearly, man, don't go that way. If he didn't love us, he, this would have been omitted and it would have never been put in the, in the Holy Scriptures. But again, we see his mercy and his grace. He's just pleading with people. Please, if you've experienced my son, if you've heard of my son, if he's knocked upon the door of your heart, open up your door so he can come in and dine with you and then he can call you friend and that you can have a personal relationship with him. That's what he's all after. It's not about church attendance. It's not about standing on a podium. It's not about I read three chapters today. It's not I've fasted for this whole week and so I'm holier than now. It's none of that. It's about relationship. Like how you have a relationship with your children and your grandchildren. You love them. You're like, man, I love you. I hug you. I squeeze you. That's God to us. He wants to hold us and love us and squeeze us and, and be with us. That's what it's about. And all that other stuff manifests itself. The goodness of God, God's love comes into your heart as you begin to have a true relationship with him. Amen. All right. Last two verses, 20 and 21. It says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues. They did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. 
nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. (sighs) But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. Of this whole portion of scripture, this has to be the worst and the saddest part of this whole portion of scripture. I mean, this is so sad. This is so, this is so bothersome. The fact that in general, mankind here is showing no repentance despite the presence of some pretty overwhelming signs and wonders. I mean, it's not good. This is absolutely mind-blowing to me. After one-third of Earth's population literally is destroyed, that someone would still refuse to bend their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, intimidation is a big thing. People get intimidated and they're like, ah, I don't want nothing to do with you. You're a big guy. I'm scared of you. Or, you know, we see somebody brandishing a gun and we're like, oh, everybody's shook. But we're seeing here in this context, demonic beings are coming and tormenting and destroying men and women and children. And people are still not bending a knee to him. The fact that after these horrible judgments and consequences, some people will still not see a need for forgiveness to be saved is beyond me. I mean, I, I, truth be told, I, I, can't even, I can't even spend $25 uh, without my wife knowing. <laughs> and not be like, ah, I'm convicted. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I mean, I meant to do it, but I should have told you. But I, I was trying to be sneaky because I really wanted it. <laughs> you know, and if it was okay to get, then I should have told her from the, in the first place. But you know what I'm saying? It's real. I mean, I get that conviction over $25. I mean, and to think that there are some who, who won't even get a prick in their hearts about anything great or small. During this great tribulation, it's just, it's just it's sad. It's just very sad that they don't even care. The application is this. The conscience is the God-given moral consciousness within each of us. You can read about that in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. If the conscience is seared, literally cauterized, I'm sure you know about that. You work in the medical field then it has been rendered insensitive. There's no feeling. There's a numbness there. Such a conscience does not work properly. It is as if spiritual scar tissue has dulled the sense of right and wrong. And that's what happens. And that's why why I always talk about if you still sense conviction, if you still feel conviction, oh, you are so blessed. That is a blessed thing to have the conviction of God come upon you because that shows you that you are one of His You are a child of God because he chastens those who he loves. He corrects those who he loves. Those who can go and willfully sin and do whatever they want and don't care. They're not of his. They're goats. And I know nowadays goat is looked at as a good thing. Greatest of all time. I don't don't, never want to be no goat. I don't even want to talk about it as a side note. Oh, I won't talk about it. It'll take away from the word. It's about NBA players' feet. It's crazy. I'm like, wow, LeBron got some, everybody, every ball player. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, that's just a side note. Talked about GOAT, thought of basketball, my bad. Yeah, every sport, every sport, every sport, man. They got hammer toes. I mean, it's not good. Bunions, I'm like, man, Kevin Durant got these flat feet. It's crazy. I wouldn't want millions of dollars. I want my feet <laughs> the way they are. All right, anyways, let me get back on track. My bad. An example of this, again, this whole thing of spiritual scar tissue being like rendered like useless, your conscience because of, of sin. Just like the hide of an animal scarred with a branding iron becomes numb to further pain, so is the heart of an individual with a seared conscience and they're desensitized to sin. First Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 2 tell us, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insecurity of liars, those consciences are seared. You see, that's why it's so important for us to, again, I go back to this. Having that experience with Christ. Being like the Bereans, searching the scripture. Don't ever take what I say for what it is. 
You need to be in the scripture and make sure I'm lining up with what the word is saying. Don't let anybody just tell you anything. You need to search. I need to search the scriptures, right? Because we don't want to be falling under the teaching of demons or people just saying any old thing. And that's what Satan loves to do. He loves to sprinkle a little bit of truth with a whole lot of lie. And if you're not mature in the faith, you can be like, oh, yeah, dude, it's all good. <laughs> and people, that's what people talk about, my higher power. Bro, you better mention the name of Jesus Christ because ain't no higher power up in here. You better talk about Jesus Christ that came from Nazareth, that died a sinner's death so he could save the world. That's who we're talking about. We're talking about the true and living God. People just say God. Oh, you know, you know that Satan is the God of this world, right? You see, don't get it twisted. Don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ. It is only under the name of Jesus Christ that man will be saved. That's why we sung earlier. Worthy is your name. If he's worthy, it's, if, we're his, if he's worthy of his name, then we should have no problem sharing the name of Jesus Christ. It's true. You want protection? You want the hedge of protection? You want his hand upon you? Then mention the name of Jesus Christ. Bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Not Harry Kishner, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not any other of these people, not Bill Gates. <laughs> Jesus Christ, you know, for real, for real. And it says, this next statement, that they should not, uh, uh, that they're going to worship demons and idols. Oh, man. Instead of repenting, man continued to worship as business as usual, these demons and these idols. They continued this, knowingly or unknowingly. I get it. Some people don't know because they're young in the faith or they're not in the faith at all and they're deceived. But it is amazing to see how quickly things return to what is thought as being normal after some kind of calamity comes upon the earth. We are quick to forget God's lessons, even the lessons that come in judgment. Just again, look at this pandemic, whether it was planned or whether, again, it wasn't planned. The, the fact of the matter is, I believe this truly was a wake up call from God to shake us up, to get us to realize what's going on. Know that time is short. Know that he's going to return soon. Know that we need to utilize every ounce of our being and every molecule of breath that we breathe to be great witnesses for the Lord. And still, some are not woken up. They're just like, oh, just let me get back to not wearing a mask so I can do whatever I want. Do you understand that there's souls that are in hanging in the balance? Like, this is no joke. You know, Russia invading Ukraine, you know it's only going to get deeper, right? We're not going back. You can't just every year go to Disneyland again. You can, but I mean, there's ramifications. It's getting heavier and heavier. So we need to be on point. We need to be in the word. We need to be in Christ. So when the day of reckoning comes, we're ready. I know we're going to get raptured, but still, you don't know what's going to happen between now and then. And you don't want to be caught like one of those virgins without enough oil. <laughs> Talking about, I, I, I thought I was ready. Be ready every day. Jesus could come back tonight. He could come back right now. We need to be ready. And if we live a lifestyle of loving him and living, uh, living service for him, then we're going to be ready. We're not going to be caught unaware of what's going on. We're going to be like, all right, Lord, take me. I'm ready to go. Let me be like Enoch. I don't even want to die. Just take me. The Lord is gathering his own, preparing us for that glorious day. If we are wise, we will be ready. And this last part right here, as the worship team comes up, they did not repent of their murderers or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their theft. This list of sins is a striking accusation against our present age. Certainly, our modern world is characterized by murders, sorceries, and, and that can be associated with uh, you know, tarot card readers, witchcraft, uh, Wiccans, the association with taking all kind of illicit drugs, sexual immorality and thefts. Uh, I'll give a quick example. Uh, me and Veronica and the family, we went to go visit Michelle and Lou um, earlier this week. And, you know, me and Lou were talking and he was mentioning how, you know, him and his wife were talking just about, you know, the depravity in the world and, you know, where we're at. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's at where now you can, you can outright be, you know, whatever sex you want. Uh, as far as your preference, and you can literally change your makeup and say, well, I was born a man, but I want to be a woman. Um, and, 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 and these things are being pushed upon society and upon our children. Next, it's going to be a pedophilia where that's going to be accepted. Where, oh, yeah, well, I just, I, you know, I just have a preference for little children and I, I feel more comfortable having sex with children. Worst of the worst, it's going to go back to 
living sacrifice and, and, and human sacrifice. And this is not nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. If you go back to the Old Testament, they were doing that. Moloch and, and throwing the babies in the furnace and all that. You know, this is stuff that's real. So we see the depravity. We see the wretchedness of what sin produces. And we're living through this real time right now. Also, I had a, a, a great talk with one of my coworkers, a young man who's, you know, uh, you know, I'm lightweight discipling. And he was telling me, you know, man, I'm struggling still with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, with pornography and these, this and that. And I had to ask him, what are you listening to, bro? What are you listening to? And he mentioned, oh, I listened to a little bit of reggaeton. I said, you have to have a zero tolerance for the things of this world. And you see, now I'm going to make a disclaimer. And some people may agree with it and some people may not. But as a mature Christian, you have to have discernment and understand. You cannot let certain things in your sphere of influence into your mind. How do you guard your heart? By guarding your minds and your ears you can't just listen to any crap music because he's telling me I'm listening to this and I'm watching the video. And if you know anything about that kind of music, they're going to have all kind of women in there with little next to nothing. I said, homie, you're already on a slippery slope. You know, you struggle in this area, but yet you're watching this stuff and it's tantalizing you. And when sin meets opportunity, that's when we fall off. And so I told him. You got to be serious about your walk with the Lord. I'm not saying you can't enjoy music, but if you know that kind of music is causing you to sin, get it out. Eradicate it from your life. I don't care what it is. Some people think I'm weird because I always have the guide on in my house. But I don't want my kids watching half of the crap that comes on the television in between a football game or a basketball game because it's all bad. It's all bad. But that's for me and my household. But the reality is we may and must continue to remain on guard in our own walks with the Lord and over our homes. Amen. May we not come into agreement with Satan on any level so that we are not tripped up by his schemes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you give us clear instruction on what to do. You give us clear description of what's going to happen. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. May we be those who side with you and sidestep all of this garbage. <laughs> we have the opportunity. All we have to do is be sincere about our devotion to you and you will deliver us from all evil. That's what your word says. We take you up on that offer. We believe in your promises. Lord, we stand in the gap and we pray and we intercede for our family, for our friends, for our loved ones that still don't know you, that are still on the fence or maybe are still in complete darkness. We pray that you would have mercy and have grace upon them, that they would come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. May they experience your goodness and your love and your mercy. Lord, may we be those that are clean vessels for your usage so that when we speak, the power of the Holy Spirit comes through us and it hits people in such a way that it wakes them up, that it convicts them, that it shows them the error in their ways so that they may be saved, so that they may see your goodness. It's always hard at first, but it gets easier as time goes on because we know we rest in you. So, Father, please. Would you have mercy upon us today? And may we walk in the light of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.